Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So, jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Welcome back, my friends, to another incredible episode of The New Wave Entrepreneur. On today's show, we have my friend, Paul Austin. And Paul is the leader over at The Third Wave. So I know we're talking about a lot of waves these days. The Third Wave is actually one of the premier resources for psychedelic education in the world. Paul has his own podcast, which is called The Third Wave Podcast. And he also has an incredible website called The Third Wave Dot co and on that site is basically you know an encyclopedia of all the different types of medicines available for humans to try, including you know the things that they are uh, the things that they do inside your body, inside your mind. So Paul has had a vast amount of experience with psychedelics, and on this show, uh, we're really going over kind of what what this medicine can do for you as an individual, what the implications are for different psychedelics in society. You know, we talk about a lot of history on this podcast. We talk a lot about about a lot of uh, politics that are interwoven into the the legalities around psychedelics and logistics around psychedelics. And we just have some good old laughs as well. This is a very, very informative podcast for someone who's new to the psychedelic or plant medicine space. And Paul is one of the best people in the world to talk about these experiences. Um, He's a vast, he's a cornucopia of knowledge. So I hope that you plug right in here and listen. And whenever I am uh, preparing to do a retreat or I'm, I'm working with plant medicines or someone has questions, I always refer them to the third wave. So I'm not sponsored by them in any way, but I highly endorse them. I definitely think you should check them out. But on to this next episode and make sure to leave a review and a comment as this show is brand new and we need to make sure that people are getting the message out about the important things we're talking about. So remember guys, jump in, the water is warm and a tide is rising. My friends, welcome back to The New Wave Entrepreneur, our podcast where we're talking all about everything that's happening in this rapidly changing world from financial tools and the new technologies to personal sovereignty and, of course, to expanding the mind through meditation, through use of psychedelics, other plants, and just becoming more complete humans in all these new ways uh, that are possible. That's why we call it the new wave. And today, uh, not to completely bite off his style because he was here first, but we have uh, the founder of the third wave. So I don't know if the new wave is after the third wave or if the new wave was a different wave and the third wave is after that. They're just all waves in the same ocean, you know, as it were. But Paul Austin is here and he's not only a brilliant man, but he's my friend and um, he's just a fun person to be around. And in that, I brought him on the show today because I wanted to give an overview of all of these things that I ramble about, but seem to uh, sometimes scare people away. You know, if I say that I got birthed out of my mom's womb and I agree, you know, I experienced uh, death through a spiral tube or that I became, you know, I became, you know, a, a mushroom and, you know, and, and shot up to space. Some people find that weird and maybe it would discourage you, but I want to encourage you to try these things. And Paul is you know, a resource of collected knowledge um, from years of doing his own work in the space, uh, trying different medicines, going on journeys, and also putting in a lot of scholarly work, as it were, uh, to understand these wonderful plants. And um, and so, you know, um, well, Paul, first of all, welcome and thank you. Thank you, Daniel. I think that my favorite part about that introduction was the scholarly element. You know, I, I studied history in undergrad. Yeah, I studied history in undergrad, and my my professor, my favorite professor, who was a former Marine and then ran for Congress as a as a Democratic congressman, he would always say, "We're training you to be scholars." And so now that comes full circle, and I am a scholar in psychedelics. So that's fucking awesome. Thank you. And and, I mean, and it, it is it's interesting because that path right of studying history really informed this idea of the third wave because time is not linear time is circular and it always repeats itself what is the third what is why is it the third wave what is the third wave yeah so the third wave of psychedelics is the integration of age-old practices and rituals that we as humans have been using for thousands and thousands of years right so we've been using these medicines since the beginning or even before the beginning of time 
if, if that even makes sense, like pre-agricultural. There was there was this book published uh, last year called The Immortality Key that talked about how at Gobekli Tepe, which is the cradle of civilization, uh, they found pottery bowls with bits of psychedelic material in them. And so we've been doing ceremonies with, yeah, crazy. We've been doing ceremonies with psychedelics literally since, you know, the, the cradle of civilization. And, and the ancient Greeks in particular had these, had these, had this thing that they drank called Kaikion, which was this, very yeah. similar to LSD. It was made from ergot, which is a fungus that grows on rye. And every four years uh, in ancient Greece, uh, particularly in Athens, they would have something called the Eleusinian Mysteries. And it was uh, an experience that was 20 miles outside Athens in a place called Eleusis. And all of the top philosophers and thinkers would go and have this very private experience. Plato and Aristotle went and did this. And it was private. It was mysterious because when you came back into Athens, you could not talk to anyone about it. And if you talked about it, you were excommunicated. And, and so um, that's always been sort of the container. I would say historically that psychedelics have been used within. They haven't necessarily been um, super talked about, but they've always been in this undercurrent of spirituality um, that has really guided the the shape of our civilization. So that was the first wave, right? We as humans, we've been using this for thousands of years. I could also point to ayahuasca in the Amazon. Um, we could point to Soma in the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita that was used in ancient India as a psychedelic so that we have a long lineage of this. But when Christianity came on the scene uh, as the official religion of the Roman Empire and, you know, 308 AD, the emperor Constantine said, Hey, no more of the psychedelic stuff. We got to, we got to knock this, knock this down. Right. And, and so it kind of disappeared from Western civilization for, uh, I mean, almost 1600 years until the 1930s when Albert Hoffman invented LSD and then tried it. And that was when it kicked off the second wave, when psychedelics re-entered Western consciousness. And so in the 50s, there were thousands of clinical papers published on the efficacy of LSD for alcoholism, social anxiety, depression, addiction, you name it. There was a paper published around LSD, but then the countercultural hit. The counterculture was tied to the protests against the Vietnam War and the administration, the Nixon administration cracked down and made LSD and all other psychedelics totally illegal. And that was 1971. And so it wasn't until uh, the early 2000s when it finally kind of caught up and going again. And that was this third wave of psychedelics where we're saying, hey, we have the clinical research and we know that these have been used for thousands of years. And yet these are highly stigmatized, not well understood. There's very little education around it. Let's, um, let's, let's amplify and elevate these. And so there's clinical research that started at Johns Hopkins and NYU and Imperial College in London. Um, a lot of influencers, you know, Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan and Sam Harris and Michael Pollan have either, you know, written books or published podcasts about psychedelics. And now we're in the midst of this third wave of psychedelics where clinical research is, is up and going. And we're now starting to ask the question, how do we create sort of a cultural structure so that we can use these with intention and responsibility? Because so much of the second wave was about dropping out, right? We're the counterculture. We're going to do something different. Whereas the third wave is about integration. It's saying, hey, microdosing can help with flow and creativity or high doses can help with uh, depression or addiction. Let's take these tangible benefits of psychedelics and weave them in to create this new wave of entrepreneurship, this new wave of um, systems to, because like shit's falling apart right now, right? We're in this huge state of decadence and psychedelics are helping to inspire a new way of looking at things. Okay. Now do same thing, but backwards and faster. <laughs> no, um, you know, what was interesting too, is that, you know, I'm sure there's just, this is just a correlation, not a causation, but yeah. that those, uh, those, those laws around psychedelics during the second wave in 1971 was the same year we went off the gold standard. Interesting. Oh. I'm not saying there's any causality there. I'm just saying interesting, you know, um, the beginning of the end, the beginning the of the empire, end. the beginning of the beginning of the end of the now beginning of crypto. Um, you know, okay. So a couple of things to unpack there. One, throughout all of this time, you know, we have first, second, third wave, but really these things always go underground. They never go away, right? So in between these periods of different cultural perspectives on uh, psychedelics, there's always been a knowledge that there is something deeper, that there are plants here and different types of, I mean, molecules and chemicals and, you, you know, that the planet provides naturally, or that can be, you know, synthesized that create these, you know, impactful moments, these altered perceptions. Uh, and then also, you know, 
some of these interactions and these chemicals are already naturally occurring in the body. You know, if you read uh, what uh, Stan Groff, you know, he has a great book on, on holotropic, you know, the, the holotropic uh, mindset and holotropic breathing, which is basically just essentially releasing natural DMT in your body. Endogenous and, um, DMT. Yep. And it's, um, it's pretty fascinating that um, these age old practices are really just being rediscovered in a way, you know, and for many people that might be thinking, you know, like I saw a recent article in Newsweek, but this discovery that mushrooms could be the biggest breakthrough in depression since Prozac. And it's like, well, we've known this, you know, this yeah, is not, it's, it, it's actually not news yeah. whatsoever. It's know? actually not news like, whatsoever. Um, Cause even the, your, the yeah. I mean, on that point, like even the ancient Greeks, you know, when they were talking about these Eleusinian mysteries and Kaikion, the beverage that they drank, they said that life would not be worth living without Kaikion, without this beverage that they drank. It's literally what the Greeks said. Life would not be worth living without. <laughs> sounds sounds like an addict to me. Uh, <laughs> no, it's one. It's be- no, I, it's I know, be- I know. It's because of the power of the the spiritual experience that opening. I also opening. believe life would not be worth this living is- without LSD. I, I totally. believe this, right, one hundred percent, right. And that's where the depression comes from—the malaise, the 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 sort of feeling that you know we're lost, we don't have a purpose, we don't have any sort of meaning because we're totally disconnected. And then you do a psychedelic, and you're like, oh. I get it. Like I remember in a way. And I feel like that's what is so often happening when people are, you know, doing these crazy, crazy, powerful potions. Yeah. It's interesting. Even, even the word remember, it means to put together again. doesn't mean that it was, it doesn't mean that it was, it was always there. So we're remembering, remembering, dismember is to take apart. Remember is to reconfigure, to, to rejoin. So it's interesting. Like I want to talk about different experiences that you've had in some of your research and uh, and those types of things. But I mean, right off the bat, like what what do you think is um, what do you think is is most fascinating about how culture is responding now to psychedelics versus how they responded to it 20 or 30 years ago? I mean, in some ways, there's a lot of parallels. There's a lot of similarities when psychedelics came on the scene in the in the 50s, uh, particularly LSD, because that was the most commonly used psychedelic here in the States. In North America, it was seen as a miracle drug. It was being mm-hmm. used in hospitals. Mm-hmm. It was being used in research institutions. It was being used to treat a, an array of issues that people that people found to be intractable. And then LSD came on the scene and helped with it. You know, there's stories of Cary Grant, the um, the famous uh, movie actor who had yeah. over a thousand psychotherapy sessions with LSD or something really like that. Something crazy, like a crazy. Wasn't he in a wonderful life? Was that Cary Grant? I'm pretty sure that was Cary Grant. He was the was it? He was he the was main the, actor. He was the he was the main actor in in a wonderful yeah, the, life. Because the, the, the whole theory of that was like, what if you died and this was what your life would be like? It's a like Christmas movie. You ever seen that? Oh, oh, I remember. Oh, yeah, I remember the movie. I He's just like, didn't know it was, it was Cary. Grant. I'm almost Jamie. Look that up. Well, I'm not Joe Rogan. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that was I'm, yeah. That was I'm pretty sure that was Cary Grant. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. So, so he did, he did a ton of LSD psychotherapy. It was, it was seen as this miracle drug. There was a ton of research. And then, and then what, what happened is they tried to hop the fence, so to say, right. Timothy Leary and Ram Dass, Richard Alpert at the time came on the scene and said, Hey, this shouldn't just be restricted to medical use. Everyone should have access to really open up their mind and open up their consciousness. So they started to give out LSD in a free flowing way. And because LSD is so potent and it was at very high doses, uh, and it was tied to the protests against the Vietnam War in particular, there was a huge backlash. And I think where we are now is we have all the, again, all the clinical research and all the excitement. We're seeing how efficacious all these medicines are for an array of clinical conditions. And the big shift and the big change today compared to 50 years ago is people, we still have a lot of those OGs like Stan Groff. Like Jim Fadiman, oh, yeah. you know, even Rick Doblin, who were around then in the 60s and 70s, they go, hey, we've we've been here before. We've learned from those mistakes. Let's make sure that we come at it from a slightly different perspective this time to ensure that it's successful and really being accepted and integrated into, into the, the society that we're creating. And so I think the, the key there for me has always been microdosing, right? And even the concept of microdosing where, hey, if we're going to talk about this in a non-medical setting, in a non-clinical setting, let's start with microdosing because most people who are interested in, in, in or curious about psychedelics, they don't necessarily want to, you know, go take five grams of mushrooms or do five DMT. Or it's, just too, it's just way too intimidating to to kind of lose their mind. 
so to say. Yeah, so by, by by starting with that microdose, that's a way that we can then scale outside of uh, you know the walls of of clinicians and institutions and and things like that. So I, I feel like that's a big shift. And the other big shift is cannabis is legal mm-hmm. in a lot of places there now. That was not that was not the case in the in the sixties and seventies. And there's just a total shift in media and how media is done. And this even gets into the topic of our conversation where in the 60s, the mainstream media had a firm grip and the mainstream media was essentially yeah. owned yeah. by the government, which is still yeah. somewhat true today. Which is still, it's still um, true, yeah. And today what's happening is the people who led the way were again, these influencers like Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan and Michael Pollan who have a ton of followers and they were able to seed this information. And then the media came on the back of that and went, actually, there may be something really good here. And so far we've seen almost overwhelmingly positive media attention on psychedelics. That may change at some point, but I think that's also a big difference is there, it, it's a wave that can't be stopped. Uh, it's just a matter of how it's going to play out. But I think the cat's out of the bag this time around. That's definitely what it feels like. There are a lot of waves that are happening that can't be stopped financially, culturally mm-hmm. right now, um, just because the fundamental structure of society has and is changing. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, even podcasting is one of those things that's created so many open avenues for having these conversations because it's not regulated by, you know, what you can or can't say according to CNN. You know, and even when podcasting first came out, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I don't think people really understood the impact it would have people just being able to talk about whatever they wanted. I remember going to uh, the the CNN headquarters in Atlanta when I moved there, you know, maybe almost 15 years ago now. They had, you know, a fact checker desk where anything that came across that desk could either stamp as true or false. This is a fact. This is not a fact. And even at that time, I thought it's just humans at the desk. How do they know? You know, I mean, how do they what, what are they Googling this stuff? How are they going to know better than I know? Because and I, I asked that question on the Twitter. They said, "Well, we have a lot of input from different sources, and we make a decision." I'm like, "Yeah, but it's still you making a decision about what's a fact." Um, so, and everyone can have a, you know, everyone can have, uh, you know, a voice now in the way in, in you know, Web 2.0 moving into Web 3.0, and it doesn't mean that everyone's right, but it does expose a lot of new perspectives, and you know, perspectives open up uh, windows of opportunity for change. You know. And that's exactly what's happened with psychedelics, right? And that's why, you know, we've seen this incredible uptick in funding for research. There was just an announcement a few weeks ago where the NIH, National Institute of Health, has now funded the first psychedelic research in over 50 years. It's a research research study out of Johns Hopkins for quitting smoking with psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. And they now have a government funding first time in 50 years. So that shift. And that was largely driven by Tim Ferriss because Tim Ferriss has just donated millions of dollars to psychedelic research. Uh, you know, and so that opening in perspective is so, it's so critical, especially because education around psychedelics is critical because there is a reason, right? It's important to emphasize this. There's a reason why these have been going above ground and underground, above ground and underground, because they're volcanic in what they bring up. They're powerful. They're intense. They can be very intense. And so it's so key that people have proper education and literacy as they're preparing for these experiences, as they're considering what medicine to use for the different experiences, as they're looking at microdosing versus higher doses. Because this isn't just something where we're taking five grams of mushrooms at a Grateful Dead concert and you know going on our our, our merry old way. This is much again that sounds about, extremely fun to me. So but. fun, so fun. <laughs> sounds so fun. But but it's not it's not um it's not how it's being rolled out now. I mean, that's yeah. still going on, obviously, but the focus is much more on ceremony and intentional use and the therapeutic applications. What I've focused a lot on, which we can get in deeper into this conversation, are psychedelics and leadership, how psychedelics, mm-hmm. when CEOs and founders and executives work with psychedelics, how, how that shifts the landscape, of the businesses that they run. Uh, I find that to be the most fascinating element because that's my personal sort of uh, mission behind all of this is psychedelics, leadership, new waves, new society. All those sorts of things. So, I mean, let's just, let's give ourselves a primer. Imagine, you know, you have a friend who uh, you're sitting with over coffee and, you know, they've heard a lot about this new research that's happening in psychedelics. They're interested and intrigued by it. Maybe they have some things in their lives that they want to explore deeper. How do you usher them into this world? What do you recommend to them? What do you, um, what are some of the ways that you uh, uh, categorize the different types of medicines to be used? You know, how do you explain the experiences? You know, what would you say to a, to a friend? 
So one thing, one way that I've been talking about this as of late is really looking at psychedelic use as a skill. And that really helps it to land, right? Just like we can learn to do jujitsu, like Mr. Purple Belt over here, or almost Mr. Purple Belt over here is, is working close, on getting, getting there, getting there. Yeah. I saw you got a few new, 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 uh, uh, what do they call one them? stripe away, bitch stripes, one stripe, one stripe away. away. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you can, and, but you started not knowing fucking shit about jujitsu. Right? No. And then Don't you work your it. way up, right? <laughs> It's the same with writing or the same with cooking or the same with any skill that we cultivate. At some point, we're a beginner. We don't know anything about it. So if we look at that frame, right, what I've built third wave in mind with is how can we help society go from a zero to one? So not knowing about like just to use cooking as a metaphor, not knowing how to cook jack shit. And at least I can cook an omelet and I can maybe make a steak and I can put a salad together and I can do a few things so I can feed myself, so to say. Right. So yeah. how do we do that culturally? So everyone can learn how to make their own omelet. And, 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 and the way that I communicate that or, or teach about that is, is there's a lot of different medicines. Each one of those medicines is its own unique uh, little flavor. They're, they're different in how they interact with the brain. They're different in how they interact with the body. You use them for different use cases. We also look at the amount that you're taking. So a microdose versus a higher dose. And then we'll also look at the frequency at which you're doing it. You know, if you're microdosing, you're doing that two or three times a week. If you're macrodosing, you're doing that maybe once every three months or once every six months or once a month. It depends on you know your intention and what outcome you're looking for. And that's often the best place to start. So if I'm sitting down with a friend over coffee and they're asking me about psychedelics, the first question is, well, why do you want to work with them? You know, are you having relationship issues? Are you struggling with depression? Are you looking to sort of reinvigorate yourself and, and, and find a new purpose and mission and meaning, right? Like what's that intention, that reason that you're looking at psychedelics? And then based on that, based on that answer, then it's, well, which medicine might be best? Is it ketamine, right? Ketamine is a disassociative. It lasts for, you know, 90 minutes to two hours. It's legally available in clinics at this point in time and incredibly effective. So if someone has clinical depression and they're like, Hey, I'm interested in psychedelics and I want to do this legally, send them to a ketamine clinic. Right. Um, If someone's interested more so, and you know, they're having some relational issues with their spouse or their partner, you know, they just need to, they're going through like a, a a difficult time They're They know they're committed, but they need to get through and work through some things. I'd say MDMA, right. MDMA is a phenomenal tool to really open up the heart space and connect uh, with a partner to talk about things that may otherwise be difficult. So MDMA is phenomenal. Also, if someone has PTSD, right, and has, has had a traumatic event, right? So MDMA is phenomenally helpful at healing uh, PTSD. So those are like, usually ketamine and MDMA are really good starting points because the chance of having a really difficult experience are very, very low. And then once you have that initial experience with like a ketamine or MDMA, looking at something like an LSD or a psilocybin, which are more the classic psychedelics, ketamine is a disassociative. MDMA is an empathogen, not a classic psychedelic necessarily. LSD and psilocybin are those classic psychedelics. And so the way that I explain this is this lotus flower metaphor, right? Whenever we're working with psychedelics, we're really looking to blossom into a more beautiful person, a more beautiful element of ourselves. And exactly. Uh, Ketamine and MDMA can help till the soil. So that way, when we plant that new seed of self with LSC or psilocybin, the classic psychedelic, it's planted in that tilled soil, the, the healed trauma. We plant that seed, we water it with integration, you know, microdosing or other practices that help us to integrate. And then the substances like 5-MeO-DMT or ayahuasca are the blossoming of the lotus flower at the top, right? And so, so and, you know, ayahuasca is a whole thing. It's, it's from the Amazon. It's really intense. You puke and you purge and it can be uh, intensely powerful at healing a lot of things. 5-MeO-DNT, which I know you have um, talked, talked uh, at length about is the most powerful psychedelic. It's a, about a 45 minute experience where you smoke the um, venom of a toad or there's also synthetics, but it sounds really bad, but it's not that bad. I mean, it's, it's very scary. It's intense, it's intense yeah, right? It's, it's full ego intense. dissolution, unity consciousness into white light. And so, and again, this is why I built third wave because we have guides then like this is MDMA, this is LSD, this is psilocybin. This is if you're microdosing psilocybin, microdosing LSD, because after we have those high dose experiences with an LSD or a psilocybin or ayahuasca, we have this profound opening. I would call them catalytic. 
and that they, 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 they open up our awareness of things that we've stored in our subconscious or our unconscious that we've repressed or that we just haven't faced. And that when those things come into our awareness, we then need to ask, how do we integrate this? And how can microdosing help us to stay centered and present as we're integrating? How can meditation, how can yoga, how can breath work, right? There are all these practices that activate a parasympathetic state that help to keep us centered in the in, in the person that we are. And that's what a lot of integration is, is about, is continuing to find our center. In fact, there was a really interesting book that was published a few years ago called The Secret Drugs of Buddhism. And oh, it, was written, it was written by a guy named Mike Crowley. And in that book, he talks about how all of the major meditative leaders in today's world started on their path with psychedelics. So they first did psychedelics. They woke up through psychedelics. And then after that, they were like, oh, and meditation is a way to actually hone and integrate this state on an ongoing basis. And that was my experience too. You know, I, I, I was 19 when I first started dropping acid. And then as I started dropping acid, I was like, oh, this is why meditation can be so powerful because it puts you back into that state of expansion, awareness, openness, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we talked about, I just want to recap quick, talked about the different substances, right? There are all these different medicines. MDMA is different than LSD, which is different than psilocybin mushrooms, which is different than ayahuasca. You have the amount, right? A high dose of LSD is very different than a microdose of LSD. Yep. And then you yep. also have a frequency, right? Where you're going to do a high dose, maybe once every three to six months, because it's, it's like a peak experience. It's super, super impactful. And then people are going to microdose maybe two or three times a week um, in between those high doses to stay centered and grounded. And if you use that framework and then play around and experiment, ideally with the support of a coach or a guide or a facilitator, someone who has walked that path before, who can help you with recommendations, then what you're doing is you're teaching yourself that skill of psychedelics. So eventually you have an intuitive sense of, okay, I have this emotional block, or I'm struggling with this thing in life, or maybe I've been in a little bit of a rut, or, hey, I'm going hiking with a friend and would love to do X, Y, and Z. Then you have an intuitive sense of, and, and using this psychedelic in this amount would be a great way to move through that emotional block or a great way to connect with a friend or a great way, great way to heal a rift in a partnership, whatever it might be. And um, that's, that's, that's kind of how I've been using psychedelics now for, for many, many years. And, and it's more than the master level, right? It's going from how, how do I cook an omelet to how do I prepare a five-course meal? And the more folks that know how to prepare a five-course meal uh, that, that become masterful at working with psychedelics... Uh, the better it is for everyone. Because again, these are powerful tools and they can help manifestation and manifestation around this sort of new wave of entrepreneurship, a decentralized framework, this mycelial network that helps to you know connect. Have you heard about the mycelium death suits where you can basically turn yourself into a mushroom when you die? Sign me up, baby. I told oh, totally. Sarah already. I said, yeah. that this is what I want. She said, come on, really? I said, this is what I want. Absolutely. Make it known. Yeah. Don't you can, you burn can, you yourself. can, yeah, don't burn. No, make me into it. And then, cause what I'm thinking is turn me into a mushroom, turn me into psilocybin, then let my kids eat me and then meet me on the spirit plane like Black Panther. Oh, you know, the scene where he eats the, he eats the red fruit and Black Panther. And then he goes and sees all his ancestors in the spirit plane. Yep. I'm doing that. There I'm doing go. it. There you go. Okay. A couple of things I wanted to, to ask you, cause I've just been wondering about this myself. You know, I think about ayahuasca for instance, um, which is, you know, the best ayahuasca experience I ever had was actually in Peru. I've done it here in the States a bunch of times. It's always better in Peru because man, it, it's one Where'd thing. Where'd you do you know, it in Peru? What was the, like in Iquitos or did you do it, it in it was, the Andes? It was, a, or? it was in Cusco. It was in Cusco. Okay. In the mountains. Yeah, it was in Cusco in the mountains. Yeah. And uh, it was authentic. It was someone's granddad. It was an actual shaman in a poncho, in a hut behind someone's house. And we're going, it was so funny too, because thinking back on that, that experience, I think, man, Maybe young people make decisions that they, they look back on later. Like, I don't know if that was a good idea. It worked out fine. But I don't know. There was a shop down um, in like the main, in the main uh, town down in Cusco um, called the, literally called the shaman shop. And then, and they had a, a sign that said ayahuasca ceremony tonight. I was like, oh, absolutely sign me up. And, you know, they put us in the back of a pickup truck and drove us up the mountain for like 45 minutes to get to this, uh, this hut, our cell phone bars were dropping. I'm like, great. If this is, you know, not legit. I'm totally screwed. Uh, so, so we go up there, but it was just a nice grandfather. Uh, I had no idea what he was saying. He had no idea what I was saying. You know, uh, he sat us down, he gave us the medicine. And I think there is something about one, you know, where the medicine is being, uh, you know, taken the setting, 
the different types of, uh, you know, ingredients they put in it every time because there is like a specific blend of it's like a root and a bark that's created this from the, it makes this tea this brew that you drink but then each practitioner has their own unique signature of the way that they make it it's different every time but man that was a powerful life-changing experience it was the first time i experienced um and actually the only time i ever experienced um uh i, I guess the christians would call it speaking in tongues you know mm. i i specifically remember um forgetting English and only knowing how to speak Quechua, which, oh, wow. Yeah. It's and I was, language. it's a native language. Yeah. There in Peru the Incans, before right. Spanish of the Incans. Right. Yeah. And I was, yeah. and I was speaking in Quechua to the shaman and he was understanding me. We were communicating. Um, wow. And yeah, it was so bizarre. That was the only experience I also had where they always say, you know, Oh, mother ayahuasca is going to show up. And you're just like, whatever, like, that's just like, it's like Santa Claus, you know, let me tell you, this bitch was straight up there. And we had a whole conversation and our conversation was, um, it was all around control. She came to me and she's kind of like, uh, I was actually listening to a, a, some, some Michael Jackson day at the gym. Uh, and there's a song he has black and white where he's singing and it's all these different faces as he's singing. It's like, you're black, you're white. And it's like, you know, Indian, Asian, you know, Japanese, black, white, it, you know, and, all, and so it was like, she was like a shapeshifter. So she didn't have one distinct face and she was shifting through all these different avatars essentially. And she was basically saying like, you know, lay down and allow yourself to have this experience because I have something to show you. And I was like, okay, I will allow you to. And she said, no, by you allowing, by you saying that you're allowing me to, you're still trying to grant me permission, which is controlling literally sit your fucking ass down and shut up. And um, so then she became a giant black serpent and she strangled me for what seemed like about three hours. It's probably 20 minutes, but it seemed like about three hours. And my intuitive understanding of that moment was that I was being strangled by my own beliefs and strangled by the things that held me back. It was an intuitive understanding that wasn't trying to kill me, but trying to teach me. And then I saw, uh, I basically saw, you know, when you look into a mirror and you can look in yourself in two dual mirrors and see infinite uh, reflections of yourself. I used to do this as a kid. We had a mirror that would fold out and I could look at myself and see infinity of myself. And basically I saw, infinite faces of what look like different, you know, types of native tribes. And I, I questioned in my mind, I said, who are these people? And she came from, you know, within, she said, you know who they are. And I knew they were all of my ancestors and the generations and generations and generations. And, um, and they just gathered around me and they were touching me and holding me. It's kind of making me kind of emotional to talk about, but yeah, it was, a, it was a transformative experience. Um, you know, I, I specifically remember, you know, then there's multiple different, it's almost like a movie in some ways there are scenes, you know, in one scene, I was, you know, in a, in a stark white tundra as a, as a wolf in the snow. And I mean, man, the sensory, the sensory effect of these medicines is just nuts. I'm going to get to my question I want to ask you, but I'm being brought back into this. I could feel the snow falling on my nose and I could see from the perception of the wolf, what the world looks like. I could feel the steam rolling wow. out of my mouth and just this visceral experience of being the animal. And, you know, after it, you know, it's just like, it was completely mind blowing. And I just thought to myself, how did they know? How do they know to combine these plants? It doesn't make sense. They said the plants told them, and I guess it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. How do they know? What would be the accident they would make to, oh, well, we just, because the, by the way, the root and the bark, they don't like grow right next to each other, like at a grocery store. It's not like they're like, they have to, have to find them. And then there's a special way of cooking it. There's like a whole process. How did they know? What do you, th how did they know? What do you think? Alien intelligence. Well, yeah, I guess. Extraterrestrial. How? How? It, but that's part of the mystery, right? The, the part of the mystery, part of what psychedelics bring up is this connection to the unknown, is the connection to the ineffable, is the connection to the unexplainable, right? And that, and that connection with mystery is actually what's so healing. So sometimes instead of asking how, 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 it's better to go. No fucking idea. Wow, wow, wow. Magical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we can make all the guesses in the world, but it's just, I mean, synchronicity, divine timing, you know, like sense. this greater orchestrator. It makes no sense. And yet it happens all the time. And what psychedelics open you up to is the fact that that is possible. So many of us are sort of stuck in this, you know, drab, unmagical, boring world yeah. that, you know, scientific reductionist, materialist world. And we've lost touch with that wonder and awe and mystery. And what psychedelics often do is they, again, they remind us, they help us remember that there's so much out there that we cannot, the brain, the mind cannot grasp. 
The, the human brain has a really hard time with understanding scale, understanding uh, like the scope of time, understanding uh, all these like vast universal concepts because we're operating in a very linear way, you know, throughout our day-to-day lives. But just the, uh, just the sheer, I mean, even if you think about Paul Stamets, like he has this whole stoned ape theory, well, it's not his theory, but it's a theory. I think it's mm-hmm. maybe even Terrence McKenna's theory. Terrence McKenna. um, yeah. But Paul was talking about it. He did a seminar. He was talking about it. Even that. And so the stoned ape theory is this theory that apes discovered at some point or, or pre-humans at some points discovered mushrooms and that aided in the development of the brain to create, you know, the, the human brain that we have now. But even that would have taken so many interactions with this, with this medicine, with these mushrooms to create where we're at now. It's just like the scope of it is mind bending. Doesn't make sense. But then that theory is not actually a bad one. It's just a theory. But if you think about it, when you're on some of these medicines, you understand ineffable concepts, which, which create a new layer on top of your current understanding. So if there was no spoken language, I can see how these plants could create a foundational layer of understanding where people could go from not speaking to speaking, because I've seen things, maybe for instance, in DMT, where I would, I've seen colors that can't be seen. That's Mm -hmm. weird, dude. But the Mm -hmm. fact that I can even have that concept is a new node of understanding. I wouldn't be able to draw it for you, but I have seen it. It's synesthesia. I mean, we have even, we even have a name Correct. for it, right? Yeah. Colors see, that smell like something or sounds. We smell that, colors or yeah. we see sounds or, and, and, you know, what's happening, we can explain that neurobiologically in terms of what's going on in the brain. Cause normally when we're not under the influence of a psychedelic, we have the left hemisphere and we have the right hemisphere. The left hemisphere is cognitive and logical. The right hemisphere is about creative and art. And what happens when you take a psychedelic is those two hemispheres start communicating in, in yeah. significant ways. Right. So then yeah. There's a there's an awareness that opens up that wouldn't normally be be there in every you know everyday waking consciousness, so to say. Aldous Huxley called it the reducing valve, right? To mm. navigate life as we know it, we need to actually reduce our awareness so we can do the things that we need to get done. And what psychedelics do is they open up that reducing valve. So instead of using 10% of our brain, we're using 80% of our brain. And then, and that is what creates this sort of, and that that's what I'm interested in is then how do psychedelics help us become almost superhuman? These intuitive beings that can sense extra sensory, that have extra sensory perception, and that can lead from a place of deep, deep intuition where we're in touch with the universe while still being within our body, which is sort of a whole nother topic and and idea, but it's a fun thing, super fun thing to play with. One of the questions I always get, which I I don't skirt around, but it's just like, you know, it's like, do your research, but it's like, it's not a very good answer. How do you acquire psychedelics? Ah, The sourcing of the psychedelics. One is always like, you know, make some new friends. So right. what, I tell, yeah. what I tell folks is, is one thing that I tell folks is there are a lot of psychedelic societies that are popping up. So mm-hmm. if you're in or around a major city, right. And you go on meetup.com or, uh, you know, there's probably Facebook groups. Or you hear everyone go on meetup. <laughs> you can find. <laughs> right. Paul right. told so me to go here. Uh, there are drugs here. Yeah. So you can meet new folks at the psychedelic society events. So that's often, so just starting to have that intention and open up those relationships is the first thing. Yeah. The other thing, and there are craftier ways to get around it. One, one of the craftier ways is uh, you can grow your own mushrooms. So what we've just rolled out on third wave is kind of a uh, easy to do, easy to grow at home grow kit where you buy the grow kit. We have liquid spores that you get with the grow kit. You put it in your you know closet for three or four weeks. Make sure it doesn't get moldy. I think that's important. You got to keep it clean. And we're we're basically making it as easy as possible for people to grow their own mushrooms. So that way they have their own supply. And growing mushrooms again, you got to be careful of mold, but it's much much easier than growing so cannabis easy. or or anything else like that. So I think. I think outside of making new social connections, growing your own mushrooms is really powerful. There's also a lot of websites that have recently popped up, especially in Canada, but also like in the United States where you can, if you do some digging and sleuthing, you can find a place to buy microdosing supplements. You can find a place to buy, you know, even psilocybin online. And then the, the, the other way is there's, um, there's these research chemicals and research chemicals are molecular, molecularly, 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 that's a tough one, 
molecular molecular god very similar (laughs) very similar to lsd right so um 1p lsd is a research chemical when you consume 1p lsd the body turns it into lsd but because it's a new novel research chemical there aren't a lot of laws and restrictions around it and you can buy 1p lsd from from canada with cryptocurrency so to make this easy for your listeners what we've done at third wave is we put together a sourcing guide um, where it's yeah. a product that you can buy, like an information product. And we guide you. It's about, you know, I think 60 to 70 pages around everything that you need to know. If you want to source medicine so you can have this experience, how do you do it? And it, it guides you through more of the gray area. And also what we have on third wave is we have a directory of retreats and clinics and practitioners. So if someone is like, hey, I'm really interested in doing this, my recommendation would be if you have the financial capacity, go on a super dope mushroom retreat in Jamaica or Costa Rica yeah. or Mexico, yeah. or go to I- or go to the Amazon like you did to do ayahuasca yeah. in a retreat setting with great facilitators. You get a chance to meet some incredible people from mm-hmm. that as well. And we have a directory on Third Wave that has, hey, these are these are the vetted and recommended retreat centers and clinics and practitioners that if you're if you want to do this in a really great way, you can you can go do it. So we're really making Third Wave that one-stop shop. You know, the, the metaphor that we use when talking about it is, you know, if we, if we think about the, the Sherpa that you climb a mountain yeah. with, right? Yeah. I, I went hiking in the Himalayas years ago and you need equipment and you need support and you need all those sorts of things. And before you start climbing the mountain, you're, you, you go to a store at the bottom where you get outfitted with everything that you need, yeah. right? And so if we think of the mountain as, as climbing that process of transformation, climbing, climbing that mountain of inner transformation, inner development, inner awareness, whatever that is, the third wave is is more or less that that store at the bottom of the mountain where we want to outfit you with the education. We want to outfit you with the best providers. We want to outfit you with, this is all the context that you need to use this in a really uh, responsible way and to use it in a really profound and transformative way. Because again, these things are super powerful and you and I both have had the, the sort of terrible or bad trip or really harrowing experience. And, and, and yeah, it's not hard. fun. Yeah. And you want no. to minimize, you want to minimize any sort of paranoia, anxiety. And the best way to do that is to have a really great guide, yeah. facilitator, space holder, who's there for you as you're moving through, through this experience. I, yeah, I definitely would recommend anybody who is trying this stuff to try it with a guide uh, for the first time, just so you can get some context for what you're supposed to be experiencing. You know, um, I really like the way that you framed it as being a skill set because I think now of like, like, okay, so for instance, you know, I'm going to get ready to do a, um, a retreat here in Joshua Tree in, in this coming week, and we're going to be doing some medicine. And, you know, if it's your first time, one of the hardest things about it is just knowing how to hold your own space and not going completely bonkers because you're experiencing all these new feelings and emotions are coming up and you're seeing things, you know? Um, so with DMT, for instance, I mean, if you've never had a, if you've never had your consciousness dissolve, like what the fuck are you even doing? You know, but if you never had your consciousness dissolve, it's uh, frightening, you know, it, it, it's, uh, and it's interesting too, because the question then becomes who is scared? You're scared, but then your personality is also dissolving. So you're disassociating with your own personal identity. And yet there's still this knowing that I am here, but I'm going away at the same time, which is freaky. Um, and similar experiences with ayahuasca too. And in LSD, you know, one thing that that maybe they don't put on the package with LSD, I'm sure, that I, I'm sure it says this on, you know, in one of your guides on third wave, but like, man, LSD can last for a long time. <laughs> like, like it can be sometimes I mean, it lasts, yeah, 10 it lasts- to 12 hours. Or sometimes even longer. Some people have trips for 16 or 20 hours. Like it can be super intense. And it's still it's my very favorite. very intense. Still I love it. I, I, I love it. Say, but starting with something like ketamine, which is an hour and a half, or yeah. or even psilocybin, which is more like four to six hours, is a way better yeah. entry point than... Because if you take LSE and you start having a bad trip, that's... 12 hours in a bad you're in it. is you're in it and you can't get out often. You can't it's like, like loops you know, throw up because you got food poisoning. It's in. Precisely. Yeah. You know, yeah. Although, um, although there are on that point, there are, there's like a specific substance that you can take. That's an LSD neutralizer. I forget what it's called. Oh, yeah? um, so it, 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 so if anyone's listening to this and they're like, but I really want to try LSD, then I would recommend having that on hand. And it's like a generic drug that you can pick up hmm. on like any corner that's pharmacy and it'll just neutralize the bad trip immediately if, if, it, if, if really? that's what you're going through. Yeah, I'll, good to know. I'll find it. I'll dig it up for you and uh, you can yeah. put it in the show notes if you want. But um, it's uh, I, I had no idea about that until until like a year ago. I wish I <laughs> That would have been useful to know. Um, <laughs> I tried this. Uh, I had this. Um, yeah, it would have been useful to know. I, I've tried this uh, this 
have you ever tried liquid LSD? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That shit is potent. Mocho. Yeah, yeah. Potent yeah. as fuck. Yeah. And one I had, drop. One drop is yeah. going to put you into a full trip. I had watch well, and you know, I, I just didn't understand the mechanics of the quantities of it. I, you know, I had um, three drops of liquid LSD and I mean, that was probably the hardest experience I've ever had. And not, it, it was it's so intense. And because it, DMT is more intense on the scale of one to 10, but the amount of time that the LSD lasted on three drops. And I mean, I was going completely fractal. I look like a fucking crypto punk to myself. Like I was looking out at the floor. The floor was all geometry. Everyone was just their own essence, but they weren't themselves. I was looking in the mirror. I mean, it was the LSD is LSD is sorely underrated. Very underrated and, Very and underrated. not as talked about because of all the stigma from the, the 50s and 60s. And oftentimes the way that if people had done it was more, again, in the party setting with alcohol, with all these other yeah. things. But man, if you do, if you get crystal clean LSD and you go hiking with friends in a beautiful, like in the mountains, oh, yeah. a beautiful set and setting, it's, there is nothing like being outdoors with great friends on a little bit of acid. It's definitely still my favorite <laughs> way to trip. <laughs> That's going to be a quote. You know, and one, one thing I realized too, the more I have these experiences, so you made the, you made the point of the link between meditation and the psychedelic uh, state. And really it's such a great reference point to have had these psychedelic experiences and you come back to your quote, normal life. And then really it's like, it's the same mountain, but it's a different speed and type of climbing. So you can, you realize that, oh, I can meditate. I can do breath work. I can learn how to manipulate my own body and I can get close or I can get there or I can get to the at least to the summit. And you, you can, it's the same, it's the same mountain, but different tools. And, um, and that is what has been just like you, it's made meditation a much more meaningful experience. I'm like, Oh, this is the psychedelic state, but you can always access it more easily once you've already been there. Same thing with cannabis, which I would say that can be psychedelic for sure. And if you've already kind of opened that door, you can have those psychedelic experiences where you're like, I'm in the DMT state now. And you can choose not to go all the way in. But, you know, I've had trips where I've gone back to the DMT state just through cannabis. For sure. Yeah. Because you know? like you said, that awareness has opened up so you can navigate that. Or even I've had experiences, you know, like I'm fucking seven grams of mushrooms where I'm like in it and and going through all this emotional stuff. And then for whatever reason, I kind of need to come to and be a little bit more lucid and I can come to and be a little bit more lucid. Yes. And then and then I can surrender again into whatever Go back. I'm going through, right? Yeah. You pop your head out, out the door again and you come back in, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is interesting, which yeah. is interesting because, you know, it's like, uh, you know, a cop comes around and you just sober up and you're like, oh, hello officer. Yes, absolutely. Right. He's here right now. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. But you're like, oh, you know? <laughs> so, okay. So, so let's bridge this gap to how you know, how leaders are using psychedelics and why it's important for leaders to use psychedelics and what is the context there? That's a great question. Um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to take a step back before that even, and just talk a little bit about the psychedelic landscape and how that then leads into leadership, right? Because mm -hmm. probably mm -hmm. what your mm -hmm. listeners may not be as aware of is there are now... I mean, at this point, hundreds of companies in the psychedelic space. There's probably 30 to 40 publicly traded companies. Some are worth billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And psychedelics are being slated as the new biotech, you know, the new mental health companies that are really going to replace, yeah, exactly, current pharmaceutical models, whatever it might be. So there's a burgeoning industry in the psychedelic space. And for better or worse, the industry almost explicitly focuses on mental health and clinical right. clinical indications. So the work that I've done through Third Wave and also Synthesis, the retreat center that I started in the Netherlands, has been instead of focusing our efforts on psychedelics and mental health, let's explore how psychedelics can help with human potential, can help with leadership, performance, flow, creativity, optimal well-being, right? How can psychedelics transform us as individuals to become this better or best version of ourselves, if you will. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. much more a wellness self-actualization angle rather than a medical, clinical, mental health angle. And the reason mm -hmm. for that, it's important that I explain the distinction, is my understanding of the mental health medical model is that it assumes the individual is broken and that they need fixing, right? Correct. So whereas what I prefer to focus on instead of how do we fix the past, what I prefer to focus on is how do we create a new a new future that transcends the current experience that we're living in. So Buckminster mm -hmm. Fuller, who was a, an inventor, an innovator, uh, a, a, a 
a world-renowned figure on, on systems thinking. He invented the geodesic dome and like a million other things. He really, and he was the one who came up with this concept of spaceship Earth and uh, you know all this sort of regenerative way of living these interconnected systems he was like he was like where what elon is doing right now entrepreneur wise is informed by all of buckminster fuller's theories that that buckminster came up with and buckminster had a quote which was hey we don't need to fix the old system let's create a new system that makes the old system obsolete and so when we look at psychedelics and leadership um, my my thing is we're coming to the end of the industrial period. We're, we're entering a, an age of decadence for all of those systems that were concurrent with the industrial period. Uh, fiat currency is, is one of those, you know, centralized banking systems, mass standardization, oil, coal, and gas are all part of the industrial period. And we're starting to ask, well, what does a post-industrial world look like? And if the industrial period was rooted in, let's say, extraction, and disconnection, right, as a form of leveraging resources and capitalism to um, help the rich become very rich. And I'm an entrepreneur. And so, uh, you know, it's like wealth is necessary. And we've sort of reached this breaking point now where we're like, okay, clearly the system isn't working for most people. We're also facing these existential crises. It's a mental health crisis. It's a climate crisis. There's a, you know, a, a debt crisis. There's a meaning crisis. There's a, I mean, fuck, there's like 20 different crises, crises that are going on right now. <laughs> there's a crisis about crises. There's a crisis. Exactly. And so, and the, so meta what's like, the meta crisis, and it is, that's exactly it. It's the meta crisis, which is the meaning crisis. Cause all of it comes back to like disconnection, essentially disconnection from self, I'm di- in a meta crisis of despair of the earth, disconnection from community, all those sorts of things. So what psychedelics do is psychedelics in, in higher doses open up what's called a mystical experience which is mm-hmm. exactly what you were talking about with your own experience and essentially a Maslow. mystical experience. Yeah. Right. Right. It's essentially a mystical experience is connection to something greater than oneself, to something unknown, to, to source, to God, to whatever it is. And that when, when someone has an individual has this mystical experience, the, their worldview and how they see the world fundamentally shifts where prior to working with psychedelics, they saw themselves as separate from the external world. And after working with psychedelics, they realize that everything is interconnected and that all things are part of an interdependent woven system, right? And so when that becomes fundamentally obvious through psychedelic use, and we see that as a truth of the universe that we live in, it then behooves us to ask, how do we build systems and how do we build businesses and how do we build government and how do we build financial currencies and how do we build you know whatever else it is on that sort of um, truth of interconnectedness. And so mm-hmm. essentially what psychedelics do is they help leaders to wake up, grow up, and show up is a phrase. That oh, 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 that's yeah, nice I mean, one. it's not my phrase. I got a Ken Wilber. It's a Ken Wilber phrase. Wake up is sort of, we realize that we're connected to everything. Growing up then is we realize that we have to take radical responsibility for everything that has happened to us, right? It's that maturity of growing up. And then showing up is going and how can I take this truth, this knowledge, this wisdom and contribute to something greater than myself uh, to push along the evolution of humanity. And so the more that we have people in leader posi- leadership positions going through this process of waking up, growing up and showing up, the more than we will create systems that are rooted in this truth of interconnectedness. And to go back to the Elon example, right? Like Elon is a really good example of this. He's in many ways, the granddaddy of what I would call the, the, the regeneration, a regenerative movement where he's building systems that are decentralized and that are focused on regeneration. And Elon has done quite a few psychedelics and those have, I mean, he hasn't publicly stated this, but those have without a doubt influenced his perspective and leadership on, okay, how can we create things that are going to be influential and helpful in harmonizing the new world that we're going to live in. Because again, to address the ecological crisis and the mental health crisis and the meaning crisis and this fucking meta crisis that we're going through, we can't fix the meta crisis. We simply have to transcend it and step into something that means all those things are not relevant anymore. And we did this before. We did this with the industrial period, right? We were in the dark ages for hundreds of years before the printing press came on the scene and then the enlightenment. And then everything came from that. 
And there was a significant up-leveling of humanity from the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, into the Industrial Period. But now we're just at the end of the Industrial Period, and we're just asking what's next. And that, I think, is rooted, what's next are systems rooted in uh, interdependencies and interconnectedness. Yeah, I mean, it's such a good good breakdown of, you know, just the natural ebb and flow of society. And whenever, when something's being born, another, another thing is also dying as well. So it's, um, there's, there's opportunity where there's also, you know, the end of something that we're very comfortable and familiar with. Um, and I think that the death of something familiar, you know, the death of the current financial system, the death of, you know, certain, certain social norms, the death of, um, for some people, you know, a way of life that has been uh, very comfortable, like the media telling us what is important, uh, like certain actors being, you know, our, you know, our, our, our shepherds, as you would say, like, I would, I would venture to say that, you know, the majority of millennials don't have the same respect for the president of the United States that their grandparents did, you know, I would agree with that. Totally huge shift. I would, I remember, you know, when my grandmother was alive, she would say, you know, when, when, when I was a kid, didn't matter what he said, we always respected the president, you know, John F. Kennedy, we respected him, you know, Linda B. Johnson, we respected because there was an aura of, well, if he's the president, he must know, you know, same thing with Kings to a certain extent. Um, but now, especially with the advent of just all this media and these, all these Donald things are Trump. happening. Donald Trump kind of killed yeah, well, he, I mean, he Real was, quick. I mean, he, yeah, he, he put the nail in that coffin. You he, know? Did, totally. Um, yeah. he totally did, which is in some ways it's a good thing. It needed to happen. Absolutely. To happen. Yeah. He totally did. But yeah, we, now we look at him and we say, we look at the president, we say, what do you know? Right. You know, which is a total, and, and it's a little scary though, because we're also looking to be led. Most of us are looking to have, you know, but that leader now has to come internal. We have to develop our internal compass. You know, and I think I shared this with you on on our podcast. Uh, I was talking to my mom and I said, you know, mom, like the Navy has released videos of alien footage and or they've released videos of UFOs. And, um, you know, that means we're a hop, skip and a jump away from aliens. Like if they're releasing footage of this and this is old footage, what do you what else do you think they have? And she's like, if there are aliens, I don't want to know because it would be too scary. And I'm scared of being scared. And I, I, that's relatable. I understand that. And also we have to be able to be scared and still lead ourselves uh, courage. when uh, courage, right? Yeah. there's no choice. Same thing with, with the breakdown of the financial system. It is scary. I mean, we talked about the gold standard earlier in the show, the U S as, as of now is $28 trillion in debt. They just keep printing money and it would be so much more comfortable to, to say, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing because that's what my parents taught me. That's what I know. And I'll just work my job, which is nothing wrong, nothing wrong with the job. It's fine to have a job, but I'll just work my job. I'll collect my paycheck, give it to my landlord and go about my business. But that paradigm is an old paradigm, which might feel comfortable now, but it's actually making you unsafe. It feels like the safe paradigm because it's what we were born into, but it's it that's, that's the illusion of safety. I'd rather be safe than feel safe. And being safe is... Being safe actually takes courage. Most people want safety by hiding and hiding from the truth, right? Mm-hmm. But safety is really sticking your neck out there and saying, what's actually going on? And I'm going to cautiously, but definitively walk towards this next point in our evolution, you know, and that comes down to, you know, the financial changes, the cultural changes and the spiritual changes are happening. And so, you know, I definitely agree with you. Yeah, it's courage. And that's, you know, when I had these first psychedelic experiences when I was 19, the, the the definitive marker of a high dose experience is ego dissolution and ego death, right? And when we go through that death and rebirth process through psychedelics, which is how they've been used for eons, right, as as initiators into yep. the 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 sort of post egoic state of being, that in itself cultivates courage because we realize that death is nothing to fear, and so much of what we're driven by is this fear of death, yeah. and a lot of things come back to that. And so if that's yeah. nothing to fear then why not have the courage, like you said, to stick your neck out there and to roll with the punches and to learn what it means to become resilient or even anti-fragile, you know, Mm -hmm. to learn what it means to actually grow from challenges, right? We could call that hormesis to some degree Mm -hmm. and that, and and just having the faith that you are safe, right? That you are held, that you are taken care of by something greater, you know, that we don't really know allows for um, courage and bravery and, 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 and pioneering. And I feel like now more than ever, we need people who are willing to um, think for themselves and to help pioneer this new sort of meta verse, which helps to address the meta crisis. 
the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the metaverse is we're going to have to save ourselves from the meta crisis. Well, you know, yeah. and I'll say something too that at the risk of, you know, getting canceled off my own podcast, um, <laughs> you know, of course, do your own medical, be your, be your own physician. And that's another thing too, I just want to point out too, you know, doctors also don't know everything. So obviously listen to your doctor and you at the end of the day have ultimate responsibility of your health. We put so much emphasis on um, respecting the medical system that we often don't even defer to our own internal wisdom about what's right for us. And we don't even do any research a lot of times about what we're putting in our body when they prescribe something to us. If they recommend a surgery, we just take it. You know, we don't get second opinions. We don't talk, uh, ask alternative, you know, resources. So that's something to be considered. But I will just say this, like my psychedelic experiences have made me a lot less scared of COVID. And I know that sounds very like my mom would just want to strangle me. She'd want to absolutely beat me silly for saying this, but I'm just like, I've seen the death tube. And, and I'll go one step and further and saying, I was talking to Sarah about this again, I could cancel off my own podcast, but if I die, I die. <laughs> Which, no, like I, I, no one wants to hear that. And I don't want, I'm not saying I want to die. What I'm saying is if it comes to that, I've lived an awesome life. I've also seen what it's like to go all the way up the tube. I get that. I'm just temporarily experiencing this. See you later, kids. But that's very scary to talk about. And no one wants to talk about that. Because it's the, it's the, there's this fantastic book that I read five years ago called You Will Die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what happened at the, the end? The Fear of Taboos. Well, it's a book all about taboos, right? And, <laughs> and the, yeah. the main taboo, particularly in our culture, is death and talking about mm -hmm. death. It's why we stick old people in homes and old people homes and outside mm -hmm. of that, because we're so faith, we're so afraid to confront death because it is antithetical to our uh, materialist lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a lot of what psychedelics are doing and why they're so healing is they help you through that ego dissolution to be com become comfortable with death because you realize that you're just merging back with this greater self that exists. Right. Right. And that's why they give, uh, they give terminal patients psychedelics to, Precisely. and they say it greatly reduces their anxiety, anxiety around terminal illness. Greatly reduces it. Greatly reduces it. And that sounds like such a gift, you know, I just got the dose before the disease, I guess, but just good. But yeah. And, and again, no one wants to die because we're enjoying this experience on earth. It's fun. It's uh, hopefully, you know, exciting, but um, yeah, you just have some of these experiences and you say, Oh, that's what that is. Okay. You know, it, it, it's, and, and Alan Watts has a great little riff um, where he talks about, you know, we always wonder if there's life after death, but also the fetus wonders if, there, if there's life after birth, you know, and it's two sides of the same coin. Cause you're, you're in the fetal position waiting to exit out of this thing. That's all, you know, it's the only thing you have context for. And you're attached to the mother who in your world is the universe. The mom is the universe literally feeding you. You're attached to it and you're scared to come out. Cause you're like, this is all I know. It's the same thing on the other side of death, you know, and it's just, it's different. It's a different way of transitioning. So yeah. I mean, and, and with that being said, if you want to get vaccinated, go for it. I don't give a shit. I have one shot. I decided I didn't like it. I didn't get the second one. So what am I? I'm just a hypocrite standing in the middle, but um, for what it's worth. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I think that there's a, and I think that psychedelics in general, just greatly reduce your anxiety about life, period. Do a couple mega doses. You don't even, you can, you, you can even be 10 years out from an experience that you had and be like, I'm still good. You know? Mm -hmm. um, I remember that you're anchored in that. Experience. It lasts. Yeah, it, it lasts. That's another thing too. Like you don't need to uh, be doing it all the time. You might have a few interactions your whole life or one powerful interaction. And that's enough to mm -hmm. give you a whole new set point. Um, so yeah, I think for leaders, it's so important. I mean, I would love to, to uh, you know, have as part of the swearing in ceremony, we just give the president a big hit of acid or DMT as part of their initiation and say, <laughs> now what, bitch? Now, now, how many bombs are you going to drop? That's a, that's a good you quote. Know? I like that quote for the Daniel Dabiata <laughs> podcast. The, yeah, the now what, bitch? You know, it's like, what, wouldn't that bitch? be great, though? It's like, how many bombs could you drop on a country if you really knew that you were them? It's right. really hard to do that. Exactly. You know? um, exactly. I'm like, I'm going to hold up a sign that says, I'm already against the next war. You know, it's like, <laughs> whatever it is, already against it. Why? Exactly. You know, um, you're killing yourself. Killing yourself, and, and you know, and and then you know, again, thinking about the Alan Watts perspectives, he was having another great example of how like what looks like chaos is harmony on a higher level. So it's like the cells inside your body killing themselves, but then your body's functioning perfectly. 
people in the world killing themselves within the planets functioning as it should, the planets destroying itself, but the universe is functioning as it should. And so it's like uh, Russian dolls, you know, level, 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 level. Turtles all the way down. That's all thing. the way. Down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, um, yeah, I mean, this is fantastic. I could, you know, this is like, I could go on for, like this for hours. Um, I want to give people enough to digest and then come back. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I, I pass out uh, third wave stuff all the time. It's, mm-hmm. it's the resource that I use. And I didn't know you guys had mushroom kits now. We're about to, we're a couple of weeks away from rolling that out. But I assume once this, once this episode yeah. is published, Text we'll, me the they'll, minute they'll they're the out. I will <laughs> be like, we'll totally refresh, 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 refresh. Yeah, yeah, I will totally uh, do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, where can they find more about you? What's the, I mean, what's Third Wave about? Or where can they find it? Just give us the, the info drop. Yeah, thethirdwave.co. So thethirdwave.co, we have guides, we have a weekly newsletter, we have a training program for coaches if they're interested, if they want to figure out how they work with psychedelics in that capacity. Uh, we have, I have a podcast as well, which you were recently on. We'll, we'll publish that uh, very soon. And then my personal website is paulaustin.co. And I do some one-on-one coaching. Uh, so if, if people are interested, you know, particularly people in leadership positions and working with psychedelics, uh, you know, I do a little one-on-one coaching and yeah. So paulaustin.co, the thirdwave.co. And uh, thank you to you for hosting this podcast and having me on, Daniel. It's fucking awesome. As Thank you example. to you, Paul. As my college roommate Anthony would say, that was the tits. That was the tits. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that concludes today's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. As you know, psychedelics are one of my absolute favorite discussions to have just because there's so many things to unpack here. I think that everybody who is medically able should at least try these medicines once in your life. You know, you don't have to do a lot of psychedelics to understand the life-changing implications and the impact that these uh, these medicines can have because you see another side of reality. And once you've seen that side, even if you only open the door once, you'll know that there's something greater afoot here. Whether you believe in a traditional religious God or you're just a spiritual person or you're even a scientifically oriented person who's interested in the possibilities of your brain. Psychedelics have so much to offer us as a, as a society and they've been around for before humanity, so they're definitely something worth checking out as a human being in this human experience. As you know, uh, Paul's website, thethirdwave.co, is this uh, this wonderful resource that you can learn from. I highly recommend you check it out. And if you want to hear more from me, including my updates on the things I'm doing with psychedelics, with crypto, with the new wave, as we call it, make sure you check out alphamentorship.com. That's my website where you can get on my email list. And of course, please uh, give this podcast a comment. Give it a, give it a subscription on your platform of choice. Make sure that you leave a review. It will really help us get the message out there. Um, check us out and make sure to keep surfing that wave because guess what? The water is warm and the tide is rising. See you in the next one.